Hey, everybody. This is the Internet of Things podcast with your host, Kevin Toffel and... Stacey Higginbotham. Somehow we switched roles. <laughs> I decided, I decided I'd, I'd switch it up a little because today I am recording from a hotel room in Aspen. And Kevin, where are you this morning? In the home office in Pennsylvania. All right. So not as nice as Aspen. It it is truly wonderful. I am here for Fortune's brainstorm tech event where I'm I'm hoping to bring back all kinds of insights about the Internet of Things that I will share with you next week. I should also note that this week we don't have a guest because travel uncertainties and we have I guess a lot of the guests this week are traveling because mm. I tried really hard to book them, but people were just like, Nope, can't do it. I'm gone. It's, it's vacation time. It's vacation time. So you're going to have to make do with Kevin and I, but don't worry because we, we ate our Wheaties this morning, had a little too much caffeine and are going to say a little hyper. And you also have less oxygen than I do being at a higher altitude. So this ought to be interesting. Super fun. <laughs> All right. So this week's show, we're going to start with some news. We're going to move into Target new Internet of Things store, and we're going to talk about the wide world of sports in the Internet of Things. <laughs> All right. So news. This week, Thread. We talked about it a little bit of last week, but this week, the Thread group, which is, for those of you guys who did not listen last week, is a wireless protocol, kind of like Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, for connecting devices in the Internet of Things. And these guys are announcing officially that they are launching a certification program. So just like Wi-Fi products are certified, now Thread products are going to be certified. That certification program will be out and developed for September of this year. They also announced that Qualcomm is joining the Thread group, which means that companies like Nest, Freescale, Silicon Labs, Samsung. Everybody is everybody. Yeah, lots of people. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. There's big-ass a- fans and some other companies in there, too. But Qualcomm is a huge new member. You know, is it me or is Qualcomm trying to hmm, do what they did with wireless charging? Is probably the best way to say it. We had three wireless charging standards, and Qualcomm got involved with all three separate standards, hoping to, you know, I guess, pick the winner. You know, if you, if you bet on every horse, you're bound to win something. So uh, it seems like they're doing this as well here because they already had All Seen, All Join, and what's gonna, going on? I'm going to stop you right there because hmm. All Seen and All Join. So Qualcomm is a founding member of the All Seen Alliance, which promotes <laughs> a standard called All Join. So All Join is actually further up the stack. It's it's not a wireless standard. Oh. So it's a little bit different. So Thread is a wireless protocol. So that's just the radios and how they talk to each other. All gotcha. seen is how things, how, how once the radios have talked to each other, this is actually how the software way up there talks to each other, like how mm. devices talk to each other. Uh, all right. So they're getting involved at a different layer in the stack, but okay, I get it. Okay. So Thread competes with things like Zigbee, Z-Wave, Bluetooth, especially Bluetooth mesh, mm-hmm. and Wi-Fi. All Scene competes with things like IOTivity, probably Brillo, Weave. We're not sure because we mm. haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Probably HomeKit. So that's that's where those all fit. Right, right, so, right. So guys, if you're if you're tracking this, write all that down because it's it's, aye, it's crucial. Aye. I know. Isn't it terrible? Well, it's uh, funny because you know, one of the things that we've said for years, actually, even before we were doing the show, is there's just so many standards and methods and protocols and all, and it's all very confusing to the for the end product buyer, um, it's challenging if you're a do-it-yourselfer because you've got to hope you're picking the right protocols, products, and so on. And so I, I like to see consolidation. So I guess in a way this is good, but it really doesn't 
consolidate much at all, does it? Well, wait. Oh, okay. I'm waiting. Here comes some more news that, hmm. honestly, if for the normal end consumer, is it going to mean much? But Silicon Labs also this week is announcing that products that are made using Silicon Labs Zigbee chips, they're releasing software that will make those chips updatable to the thread standard hmm. through an over-the-air update. So Okay, so it's a safer bet if you go this route then. So yes, so it's possible that very soon, if you have Zigbee chips and things, those chips will be using Thread. But you as the consumer will never know. Right, and because there's a a certification process, you shouldn't have to worry about standardization in the products. Right, and you as a consumer aren't going to actually be looking for a certification until after September. Because while they announced the certification program, it doesn't actually exist yet. This is another case. I mean, the Thread guys announced Thread like over a year ago. Or about right. a year ago. So, again, it does not pay to be on the cutting edge. It's just very uh, mentally exhausting. You no, know, and it's very expensive, as I can attest to. And, and as you said, we don't know enough about Weave and Brillo because that's like, an open question to me. Will that work with Thread or not? I imagine it has to because they are working with Nest. It's separate mm-hmm. from Nest, <laughs> but... <laughs> I can't imagine that Google would spend $3.2 billion on Nest. And Nest was one of the founding members of Thread for you people would, to be like, yeah, you, you know what? Let's let's do something that totally doesn't work with this other thing. You would think so. I agree with you. That makes sense. However, I wouldn't have expected the big Nest news a month ago to be, we've branded our cameras, uh, our drop cam cameras as Nest drop cams, and we've got a slightly updated smoke detector. And oh, I would totally expect that. That is Tony Fidel all over. That is like, uh, I've learned so much from my years at Apple. Let us make a big hoo-ha over all of this. Hmm. So that's the thread news. And okay. th- I mean, it's, it's you know, kind of geeky, kind of nerdy. Here's some less nerdy news. What's this up? Is, this, is, this is exciting, sort of, if you like these products. The Amazon Echo now works with Wink. Which we talked about last week, not knowing <laughs> that they were going to do this. We were actually talking about, well, you mentioned that you spent, I think, $180 on... 120 120 on Link light bulbs, which work with Wink, and they also work with the Philips Hue. So with your Hue Bridge and your Echo, you could, I'll say, unofficially control your Wink bulbs. But now you can officially do it. Right. Well, in in doing that, I actually also last week or maybe the week before noticed that Wink support was listed on the Amazon Echo website, but I didn't think it was a big deal. I just thought, oh, hey. There's wing support there. But then they made a hoo-ha about it last week. Exactly. So apparently hmm. I had a scoop and didn't realize it, and thus Whoops. I did not get a scoop. Oh, so oh, cool. Well. Oh, I well. will update y'all, though. So after, I guess, over a week of turning my GE Link light bulbs on and off, they're getting a little glitchy. What? I, I was just going to go out and buy some. What's going on? So what's happening is I'll tell Alexa to turn the light kitchen mm-hmm. lights off. And all but one will turn off. Let me, then, let me stop you right there. Okay. Because something I did learn in covering the non-scoop news last week was, where do you have them grouped? Because you can't group them in the Wink app. You have to group them in the Alexa app. They are grouped in the Alexa app. Oh, that's a glitch. So, and it's, <clears> it's <throat> popping up more and more often. It's a different light every time. 
So I have to tell it to turn off twice to get all the lights off. And I'm kind of wondering if there's kind of like, you know how in, in your browser settings or something, you might clear your cache mm -hmm. to kind of like just clean everything out. I'm kind of wondering if there's like a, the equivalent in a smart home, like network mm. settings or in Echo. I have no idea because it, it kind of feels like that type of error. I would say it's worth a shot if you don't mind, you know, unlinking all of your lights and, and rediscovering them and regrouping them. I, I'm going to bet you that works. So again, in Aspen now, but this is this is the reporting that's happening. So next show, I'll have regrouped and see if that pops up again. And you know, if this is something I have to do every week, I'm going to be like, guys, this is this is not bueno. This is no Actually, bueno. Don't yeah, actually don't sweat it. While you're in Aspen, I can just use the back door that that hacker created on uh, was it Nightline? I forget what TV they, show you. There about. we go. They yeah, never so. found. They never got my password. Oh, well, we didn't tell you that they got it. To be honest, but um, oh, here, you I just know, turned your lights on. There you go. I could I could do it except for I have to have a physical a person physically there to hit the Press Philips the button. Hue button yeah. on the bridge. But maybe yeah. my husband will do it for me. Maybe or or maybe a Roomba with an extension. The Roomba with an extension. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need. I need to build a like a little servo motor, you know, have it set up to hit the button for me remotely using like no. little bits or something. Wait, you don't have a telepresence robot like the rest of us? Dang it, I do not. <laughs> All right. So next news item, which is something we'll actually we've been spending a lot of time on each news item. So we'll probably spend this much on everything. Target. Guys, this is what I've been waiting for, I think. I have to go to San Francisco to see it, but it sounds like what I've been waiting for, which is Target has introduced a store concept called Open House at the San Francisco City Target, which is on 4th Street across from <laughs> right. Moscone. Across from Moscone, where we always get the clothes we didn't remember to pack on our trips to San Francisco. Exactly. And this is a retail concept for selling the Internet of Things. And right Ooh. now, they've got about 50 companies in there. You know, if you listen to this show, you are familiar with a lot of these companies. It's mm. companies like You Know Me, Tile, August, Ring, Whitings. I, I keep keep going on. I'm I'm blank. Oh, Sonos, Philips Hue, Mimo, which is a baby monitor kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Jawbone. I, so they got they got the whole lineup in there. They, I mean, there's 50 of them. There's so many. Yeah. It looks amazing. And this is a store within a store concept, right? Kind it's, of like how uh, Samsung puts in their little mini stores and Best Buys and such. Yes. Now this is the only one. Mm. This is not a concept that is going to expand for now. This is a in the basement of this this single target in San Francisco. And the idea is they're working with these vendors to show off connected devices. You can go in and buy them. But what's really cool is they've set up scenarios where you can see exactly how this stuff can work mm. singly and most importantly, how it works together. So it nice. will show you Oh, Nest is a partner. So it will show you things like how I always talk about like the works with Nest concept with like the Philips Hue lights that I like so much, where if your Nest is set to away, your Philips Hue lights will just turn off. Or if it's set to away for more than a day, your Philips Hue lights will go into like a random, you know, on and off pattern to like foil burglars. So it, it shows you those things, or it shows you that Sonos working in conjunction with the Mimo baby monitor. So if your baby starts stirring, the Sonos can be turned on to play white noise or a lullaby. So maybe the baby will go back to sleep. Oh. Or maybe you can make your phone ring. 
I was like, that is actually not my phone ringing. That is, that is street noise from Aspen. Oh, so there's I apparently didn't... a parade for oh, They're having a parade for you. Very nice. Very nice. Someone is I, writing. I love this idea um, for two reasons. One, obvi- the obvious reason is it shows and exposes the consumer to really what's going on in the IoT world from a, a retail level, a, a real use case, experiential kind of, kind of thing. More importantly, though, I see these types of concept homes every year at the Consumer Electronics Show. The difference here is when I go to CES, I go to one vendor's booth, such as Belkin, and they show me their home filled with Wemo. Then I go to somebody else's booth and they show me all of their products. This is showing all of the different vendors working together, and that's really key. So the closest I've come to this is Zonoff, which is the Mm -hmm. back end behind Staples Connect and possibly some other products. And and where are they located? They are located in Pennsylvania, I believe, close to you. That's right. That's right. I, I do remember them asking me to come out. I guess I should go over. You should go see it. It's it's this concept in Pennsylvania. So they have this, and it's it's actually really freaking cool. So you you could see this without going to San Francisco. But it is so powerful to see this because most people do not buy these products. You're going to buy a device for the one-off reason and the one-off mm-hmm. use case. And sometimes that one-off use case is really not that compelling. Mm-hmm. Like, Paying 60 bucks for a light bulb because it changes color or because it's connected to your phone. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You're like, no. Yet Stacy does it weekly. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But it's because I have all of these other use cases in my head. Exactly. But other people, I mean, that's asking a lot from a person to be like, Yes, I know that my connected doorbell will flash the lights when it rings, thus alerting me to who's at the door. I mean, that's that's just Look, crazy. I, I agree. People have it in their head that the smart home is, you know, something like they envision on Star Trek, for example, where everything does work together. All these different things going on, and yet then they go in, and they buy one product. They're like, "This isn't what Gene Roddenberry promised me. This is a light bulb that changes colors. What do I do?" Showing the whole home, showing how these things work together, is really the value add. And showing which things work with which other things. So the only other place that does that is Amazon. Because it's online, you can actually separate in their home automation channel which products work with which other products. I spend a lot of time on there. And it's one of my favorite places to buy devices because, A, good prices. But B, it shows what other things can work with what other things. And most retailers don't have the resources to either constantly update that I mean, like when I go into Home Depot, a lot of the time it is like this end cap jumble that is like half sold out. Things are in the wrong spot. It just yeah, it hasn't been updated in three months. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Mm-hmm. So Target has basically combined the information and hopefully it stays up to date that Amazon can provide with the like demos that CES offers, with like some clear Lucite furniture that looks cool, I guess, and like the ability to play with all these products in real like in real life in this this store experience. And it's supposed to be this like living lab. So if you buy stuff and you hate it or it's glitchy, like my GE link lights are right now, Mm -hmm. you can bring them back and there's no restocking fee. When I talked to David Newman, who I'm hoping to get on the podcast, he was like, you know, we're going to look at that as an opportunity to do consumer research. You know, you bring them back, you tell us what happened and we're going to talk to the manufacturer and be like, Hey, what's up? Awesome. I love it. I love it, guys. I think this is just amazing. It's a lot of work, but I think it's a really interesting and compelling right step. And for the startups, 
Hopefully when Newman comes on the show, he'll talk about how startups can get involved because he wants to actually have startups come and show off their products even before they're maybe even available to do consumer research, which would be great. Smart. Yeah, that's smart. And this is at the Metreon Target in San Francisco, and it's in the basement, you said? Yes, in the... That yeah. sounds dank and dark, but it's not no, dank no. and dark there. It's very nice. Uh, if they have a glass stairway, I mean, you know, there's a good chance it'll be successful. It, a glass stairway. <laughs> Just it's, saying. It's it's lucite, I believe. It is, uh, it is clear acrylic furniture everywhere. The, the Hue stuff looks great there. All right. So I am excited about this. I can't wait to go and see it. If you guys are in San Francisco, go check it out. Report back. Yeah, let us know. And when we have to... In, Keep listening, because sometime this summer, David Newman, who is in charge of this, is going to come on the show and tell us all about what they've learned so far, hopefully, and how you guys can get involved. All right. Final news item for the day, or not news item, just things we're talking about and thinking about, is Wimbledon, or specifically tennis. Mm. I guess it would be tennis, specifically Wimbledon. Yeah, that works too. Yeah, yeah. Neither. I don't play tennis. Well, I did once, and it was very embarrassing. What about you? <laughs> um, I, I, we play on occasion, my wife and I. We actually have tennis courts down the street, public tennis courts. So every once in a while, we want to get some exercise. We'll go you know, hit a ball. Really? See, that's my problem. I can never hit the ball. That's kind of um, the most important part. That's, that was my take. So, Is there something in the IoT world that can help you hit the ball? I, maybe. There, there are connected <laughs> rackets. Mm-hmm. I, I think my general hand-eye coordination, even the information from the connected brackets is not going to help me. But I was reading this, IBM put out a piece of content marketing on tennis. And, you know, normally I'm like, eh, content marketing, meh. But this was actually really interesting. And they they talked about, and I don't know how to say this company's name. Kevin, you Baba wanna... Lot. Baba Lot. Not Baba. Baba Lot. Not, not... not Baba Little. Baba Lot. So this is a, I believe it's actually a French company, not a Russian company. <laughs> Babola. Oui, Babola. But they make connected tennis rackets. And because they make connected tennis rackets, they believe that by 2020, everybody will be using smart tennis rackets because they are just so amazing. And what they do, they're analyzing how you move the racket, how the ball hits the racket, the strength of your serve, all of this information. And they're transmitting it to the players, both in real time, but also making video analysis immediately after the match is available to mm-hmm. them. Yeah, this is a this is actually a, a market that we probably should talk about more when we talk about IoT and, and big data and such. Um, that's the sports market because there's so much information available or... Well, it's hard to get that information without sensors in, you know, the tennis balls, soccer balls, whatever it may be, on golf clubs, now on tennis rackets. You know, that's all feedback to athletes and and even spectators. I mean, like I'm I'm always watching golf and they have the little ball tracer that shows where the ball's going after it's been hit, the swing speed, the height and all this. It's just amazing and it it's a more immersive experience both as a observer and probably as an athlete to to have all that information. It's just we don't we don't think about it that much, I don't, I don't believe. Well, what I thought was really kind of interesting is IBM talks about giving some of this data out to like coaches so you could actually mm-hmm. coach someone playing against a rival based on this data from their rackets. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if the, you... The feedback can be incredible. And so that, that to me was just kind of crazy. So it, the, the kind of idea was imagine playing against big champions like Rafael, is it Nadal? Nadal. Mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal without being physically on the same court, which mm. I don't think that's possible. And so, and the other thing is, 
this kind of information from the rackets could be funneled real time to, you know, a smartwatch, which could deliver like haptic feedback to a person. Mm -hmm. And I know that on Wimbledon, you know, they don't allow coaching from the sidelines. And I don't know if they allow smartwatches at Wimbledon, but, you know, you could get coaching almost immediately from a smartwatch, which means... I think they would disallow that in competitions, but it, you know, as for amateur, regular people, that's pretty useful. Yeah. Well, and it's not just your equipment. I mean, equipment is the first thing because, you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've got, it's, it's obvious that... It's easy, can, it's easy to instrument the equipment. Right. You can pop embedded sensors in it. And it's also something that people already spend a lot of money on. If you're even an amateur athlete, if you play a sport very seriously you're willing to spend a crazy amount of money on it. Oh, yeah. Soon we're going to start seeing like sensors in clothing. I mean, you can already buy sensor-embedded shirts and socks. I've worn one. Oh, yeah? How did yeah, you the, like it? The ohm signal. I've worn the, um, the vest that has um, sensors in it to monitor my heart rate and my respiration rate and so on. So when I go for a run, it's real-time sending that information right to my phone. Did it help you? I got tired. Uh <laughs> It, it gave me it, it did give me good feedback uh, all joking aside um, I like to work in certain heart rate zones for certain types of workouts like my speed work and my tempo work and if I'm going too fast or I'm working too hard I, I shouldn't be running that fast for a tempo workout if, if I can't keep that speed up for three miles then obviously it's going to be a wasted effort so long term yes I can help absolutely did it give you feedback right away or did you have to get it later no real time Okay. Yeah. Well, because I would think some sort of, was it on a screen or was it haptic? On a screen. So haptic would be key there. Mm -hmm. Sure. If I, maybe you could set target zones for the heart rate and have the data sent to the watch. And when I'm too high, you know, my heart rate's too high and I need to slow down. I could get a double tap. If I'm going too slow, I can get a single tap. Sure. Because that's, that's what I think would be Mm -hmm. really awesome. Absolutely. And, and you know, all these sensors don't have to be embedded in these things, going back to the tennis bit. And I, and I say that because there was a Kickstarter that was supposed to deliver in January and still hasn't. So, you know, I'm not advocating go get this by any means. But they uh, saw a company came out with the Shot Stats Challenger, to, a way to make your tennis racket smart. And it literally is, it, it looks like a, a racket dampener for people who do play tennis. They know what that is except it has a small screen on it and it's got sensors inside and you can measure, you know, the speed of your swing, the speed of your uh, serve and the angle of the racket when you hit the ball and so on. So, you know, you can add these to regular tennis rackets. Um, but I'm sure it goes for all types of sports equipment. I've seen things that you can attach to golf clubs for, for similar information. So, you know, we don't have to embed all this right in this equipment is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by kind of all of these options and where they might come from. And then eventually you should be able to stream all this data into like Android Fit or Android Wear. Is it Android mm-hmm. Fit or Wear? Which one, uh, Kevin? Which one? <laughs> Google Fit on Android Wear. Google Fit on Android Wear or HealthKit. And perhaps, you know, you could use that to track, you know, your burgeoning shoulder injury. Who knows? Yeah, lots of potential. I, I wish I had more to say about this, but since I don't play tennis or sports, I don't. But well, let's let's be honest. The only reason we're talking about it is because it's got a cool name, Babalat. Babalat. Well, actually, I was <laughs> I was excited because Wimbledon and the idea, the idea of like yeah. how this changes the future of sports and how it changes coaching. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a lot of ways that sports could change with the advent of more data. Like it changes the way you plan your defense in kind of team sports, right? 
-hmm. It also changes the way that you could potentially compete in kind of single person sports. So like, you know, if everyone has smartwatches coaching them, how does that change the nature of the game? Does it make it faster? Does it make it, you know, more precise? I don't know. Well, Um, in in some sense, once you add the technology, it kind of brings a different way of competing. Uh, If you look at, you know, Formula uh, One cars and all the technology they have in there, I mean, these guys are constantly tweaking the code of their cars to make them have an advantage over other people's code in their cars. And and it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops in terms of competitive sports in general. Right. Like with supercomputing, you know, every time I've gone to a supercomputing show, I always see the Formula One guys actually there, like the the racing teams. Oh, yeah. They're there because that becomes an important part of competition. And it would be very interesting if sensors become such an important part of competing because these sports don't normally kind of give a nod to technology. We need uh, lane change sensors on the NASCAR so we don't have as many accidents. No, no, just kidding. I don't know if you are just kidding. I am just kidding. They, they are very more mechanical than electronic in those cars. It's very, they still use manual um, tachometers, for example, and they don't even have speedometers. So uh, it's very much a mechanical sport compared to, say, Formula One. And don't people like the accidents? Isn't that part of the reason? The people, people in them certainly do not. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's a, there's definitely a, a portion of the NASCAR fan base or racing fan base that watches it for the big one, you know, the big accident and whatnot. And it's kind of a, a bittersweet thing. I don't, I don't. You probably don't know this, and just only because we're talking about it, I'll mention it. Um, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, there was a terrible accident where. At the finish line, a car went up and over two other cars and into the catch fence at uh, Daytona, and literally the entire car went to pieces. The engine flew out, for example. The front end was gone. Basically, nothing was left but the roll cage and a little bit of sheet metal, and thankfully, due to the safety, uh, the driver did not get hurt. He walked out of it, but it was touch and go for the first 30 seconds after that happened. I mean, people thought this man was dead, and there were actually spectators that were injured from debris that didn't get caught by the catch fence. So, I mean, it's nice to hope for these accidents, but you got to be careful what you wish for, I guess. Well, gosh, that is such a grim note. I kind of don't want to end the podcast on that. You know what? I will send you the the YouTube video of this crash and you will will be scared for this person's life. Of course, you know at this point he is okay, but yeah. All right. We'll add that to the show notes, (laughs) maybe. Yeah. I'm like... I, do, I don't even know. That's rather grim. So let's let's bring finish the show on an up note and say it one more time. Babolat. Babolat or Babolator. <laughs> no, actually, I realized it's time for the five-minute device review. Ba-ba-ba. All right. This week's device review is the Vivint Home Connected Doorbell. It's actually, it's mm. the doorbell, not the home security system, actually. So we'll yeah, go. they have a bunch of products, don't they? They do. They're primary, and, and to get the doorbell, you actually have to sign up for their monitored home security system. Mm. Mm. But mm-hmm. people liked this doorbell so much, they actually got 40,000 new signups mm. just for the freaking doorbell, which is amazing. So, just so you know what you're getting into, what you do, Vivint offers connected home security. This is not a DIY product. Normally, I don't mess with these, but I thought it was, I I was kind of going through a connected doorbell phase Mm -hmm. and I thought it was so interesting that they were one of the first to offer a video doorbell. 
uh, that I, I decided to have them install it. So they came out and installed it because this is that kind of product. Mm-hmm. They charge between $54 and $70 a month for a monitored home security product. The pricing differential, there's three levels. Um, it basically offers you different levels of storage um, and different levels of like connected devices. So they work with Z-Wave devices, so they will also connect you up with other Z-Wave devices in your house. Nice. Which is kind of cool. They actually set up my SmartThings controller as a secondary controller, and we'll actually go into that in a completely different podcast um, because it's it's worth talking about. Mm-hmm. But the doorbell, because I liked it. It's a nice-looking doorbell. It is the most doorbell of video connected doorbells. It is the smallest of the ring Skybell Vivint doorbell trifecta. Um, it is about an inch and a half across. It's about three inches tall and it looks like a doorbell, which is yep. really important because sometimes people get to my door and they're like, uh, what, mm-hmm. what, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> the other nice thing about this is they come in and install it. They also, it's installed with a, and again, you're going to be paying for it every Mm -hmm. month. So keep that in mind. So when it's installed, what happens is if someone rings your doorbell, it comes up on a security panel that they install in your house as well. So you get video on on the security panel. It's a Mm touchscreen panel. Mm -hmm. You also get it on any of the phones you hook up to the doorbell. So I'll get a notification on my phone. It rings on my phone. Um, and it sounds like a doorbell chime. You can have it chime a variety of chimes. And it will also ring through your manual doorbell chime if you want it to. Actually, no, it doesn't. It only rings through the doorbell chime sound through your touch panel. I lied to you guys. Forget that. That's okay. Manual. That's okay. Forget the manual doorbell chime. Uh, and you get video, and it is instantaneous. So it's pretty sweet. I will say, because I spend a lot of time on the phone, that feature is less exciting to me because mm-hmm. I'm on the phone. So I'm not able to, you, you can't open a line of conversation with someone, you know, if they're at your door and be like, Hey, what you doing? I'm upstairs. Come on in. Or, Hey, I'm busy. Leave the package at the door. Can you do uh, that through the, the display panel? You can. Okay. So you could, you know, hold, put your phone call on hold or whatever, mute and kind of do it. You just can't do it with the phone when you're using it. And I particularly can't because I have some weird phone issues. Um, right, right. Well, I have, I have the Moto X second generation on Verizon, which puts me, it takes me off of the data network when I'm on a phone call. Yep. Makes so, sense. Yep. But that's a very. It's unique. It's a unique thing. Although if, if you in everyone in your family is on the Verizon Moto X second generation or a, then don't buy this doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> Don't no use comment. it. That's, but again, very, what is interesting though, and if you hate having, if you don't want to do, if you don't want to go DIY, this is a great product because they will actually set up a garage door opener. Kevin, you would love this. They set up mm-hmm. a garage door opener. So if like the UPS man rings your mm-hmm. doorbell, you can actually from your phone or the control panel, open your garage and tell the UPS dude to leave it in your garage and then close mm-hmm. the garage door behind the UPS man. And you yeah. can do that from your office, like 20 miles away from your house. You can do it from inside your house. It's pretty sweet. No, that's handy. That's handy. So yeah. uh, night vision on this thing is nice. Field of vision on it is nice. 
What other questions do people have about connected doorbells, Kevin? Is it hardwired or is it? Uh, up, it is there a battery? It is hardwired into my existing doorbell, and that gotcha. was the nice thing about having them install it. Their install yep. took about an hour. Okay. Yeah, I mean, most people have a doorbell, a wired doorbell anyway, I would think. And so it's a replacement for that, a direct replacement. Yes. Okay, not bad. And if I'm not mistaken, these are the folks who also, they do a whole package here. I mean, like, as you said, you got the doorbell and they have the garage door opener. They have connected door lock. Um, they have in-house Wi-Fi cameras. But I think they also offer internet service. They do. They have actually internet service in some places. Yeah. Not all places. And they have a whole home automation effort. Um, they do not have, and this is important, an official open internet home automation service, although they are planning on that, but they don't have it now. So while they actually hooked up my smart things thing as a secondary control, mm-hmm. so I could tie my smart things in through this, I don't know if they would do that for everyone. Gotcha. They do offer motion sensors, door and window sensors, and all of it's based on Z-Wave. So mm-hmm. if you're a Z-Wave person or have Z-Wave stuff, they can link your existing Z-Wave stuff in. Not bad. You know, that's it is not bad. So if if you're like, if you're kind of like, eh, I've been in, and it's monitored home security. So if you're, again, you're like, hey, I like monitored home security. Mm-hmm. I could do this. Then. And, and if you if you decide to go with these guys and you're going to pay them the monthly fee, do they give you the hardware? Because that's a pretty common um, they do. business model. That's okay. their business model. Is there you go. You sign up, you pay this, and they give you, I think it's up to $1,500 worth of the hardware free. Now, the control panel is like 900 of that hardware. Wow. So, yeah, the Sky Control panel is $900. I'll stick with my iPad. Thank you. Yeah. It's a nice, I mean, it's a nice panel. So, yay. They have smoke alarms, carbon monoxide, video cameras, thermostats. Well, they're offering the whole package, just like uh, a lot of the uh, traditional ISPs are starting to do now. So, Yeah, and it, it's got cellular backup. I mean, it's primarily a cellular system, which is what a lot of the modern ones are, which is great mm-hmm. for people like me who don't have landlines in the no house. No landline. Yeah, that's we still have the old ADT system and no landline now, so I'm, we haven't used the ADT system in years because of that. There you go. Yeah. So that is, that is our, our product du jour. I like it. I think it's kind of fun. I am not convinced enough to pay $54 a month for it. Although my husband, and this this gets into something, and we're actually talking about paying the monthly fee for monitored security. So if we do that, I will probably use Vivint, and I will do it because they have this doorbell product. Mm-hmm. So kind of... yeah. I'm not in their target audience. I'd rather do it myself, but even even with the struggles and of getting things to talk to each other, but there is there's definitely a big market for this. Yeah. Well, and the fact that I can bring in my smart thing stuff, I'm kind of like, hey hey. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is this week's show. So hopefully you guys we we left you on a higher note than than NASCAR explosions. Yes. And hopefully let us know if you stop by the new target open house in San Francisco, or if you see anything worth talking about on the show or have questions, we are info at iotpodcast.com. Please tell a friend to listen to the show and, you know, leave a review or something like that. We're, or a friend of a friend. Or a friend. Of, well, I don't know if you want to tell a friend of a friend. They might think you're strange. Okay. <laughs> and I think, I think that does us. What do you think, Kevin? I think so. And remember, don't bob a little, bob a lot.
Babalat. All right. Stay or no, don't stay tuned for our guests because this week, no guests. No guests for you. Come back one year. Come back no, one come week. Back, come back next week. <laughs> come back next week. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful week. Thank you.